0: All right, Lisa, as much as I hate to say this, the clock is always chasing us, whether it's during a race or whether it's just in general life. And right now, I don't even want to count how many days we have left until Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: New Year's Day, 2023. And, you know, it's at that point, Lisa, where I'm making decisions between stuff that I want to get done in 22 and stuff that's just going to have to wait. just going to have to wait until 2023 and so at this point I figured Lisa it would be really smart for us to come up with a list of considerations here as we wrap up an old year get started with a new year there's lots of things that happen regularly during the holiday season so I think we should kind of come up with our own little list here of things Mm -hmm. to think about Mm -hmm. uh, during the end of year slash holiday season for those who celebrate what do you
1: think yeah I think so let's do it All right. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your
0: normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I have I have just decided to opt out of shopping, okay? That's where I am with it. There, there are a small number of things that I will shop for that are urgent, but anything else, I hate to say this, I am so guilty, but until I find a good replacement, it's me, Amazon, Etsy, black and brown owned businesses. That, that's where I am with it, but I'm not going to a store. That's my point. I'm not going okay. to the store. So okay. how do you plan on shopping this season, Lisa? Because I don't plan on mm-hmm. setting foot into a store for any highly popular mm-hmm. toy, this, that, and the third. I'm not doing it, Lisa. What do what you plan to do?
1: Well, I mean, I think um, because you celebrate Christmas and you have two children, your yes. holiday shopping extravaganza is likely very different from mine. <laughs>
0: Well, right, I, right.
1: I I used to celebrate Christmas as a child, but I don't really. I mean, I you know, it still has like warm fuzzies and nostalgia attached to it, but I'm not doing a whole lot of shopping. And so, because most of the people that might be expecting gifts from me don't live in this country, it almost always has to be an online purchase although I am trying to purge myself of Amazon um with you know limited success at this point I do underscore your Etsy suggestion because I have found some really great women-owned um people of color-owned small businesses on there that I have been able to buy things from just for myself but also thinking as gifts for people as the year ends um so I know as we're recording this, we're in early December. And so there's all the the uh, sales that have just happened after Thanksgiving and people lining up at you know, 4 a.m. I actually had a boss once who like legit on Black Friday will get up at like 3 a.m. to go to the outlet malls and stand in line. And, you know, that's what she does with her family. And that's a tradition. And I am just like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you.
0: Uh, look, Lisa, I'm I'm with you. I'm not doing it. I uh, have family members that still like to get up at midnight or whatever store opens at whatever time. And I, mm-mm, I am not here for it at all. So no, I've never been part of that kind of race to the front door for the sale type thing. That's just mm-hmm, not me. Mm-hmm, um, so, but yeah, but I do think, you know, Lisa, that brings up a good point that As we look at organizations like Etsy is one of my favorites, I get a lot of my binders and notebooks and so forth from lots of um, black owned, brown owned, LGBT owned folks that go, a percentage always goes towards a certain organization, but I do think it's time to be a little more discretionary with how we spend our money. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, with that, I think what's smart, like I, I was jokingly saying on a Thanksgiving Day, this is about to be an all Black, Brown, LGBT house, okay? Because even my toilet paper is from a Black-owned business at this point. I've been working to incrementally add things. I yeah. know I can't just overhaul, yeah. but, you know, incrementally add things. Well, one of the things that i found that's been really useful is Taking a breath, number one, and taking the time to shop and invest in minority-owned, woman-owned, LGBT-owned businesses and brands. That's one thing that, you know, sometimes it's not really apparent. So like, for example, the toilet paper I was mentioning before, I happened to be reading something else and it was giving a list of Black-owned businesses and it happened to be the name brand, which is called Real, R-E-E-L. Uh, that's the name of the toilet paper. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to go online and order it, what have you. When I went online to order it, it sent me to Target. It sent me to Walmart. It sent me to, you know, usual retailers in my area. And so there may be products that you don't even realize are Black, brown, woman, Mm -hmm. LGBT-owned, veteran-owned products. You just need to do a little bit of looking around. Um, And so one of my really good friends, she... um, works with the U.S. Chamber, the, the Black U.S. Chamber of Commerce, there are a number of different chambers that you can look and find out which organizations are certified minority-owned businesses. Like, there's um, a certified LGBT business enterprise that you can tap into to find out, is this uh, coffee LGBT owned or predominantly LGBT owned, at least 51%, for example. So there's a few ways to kind of dig around. But if you have a a smartphone in your hand, you can Google and find this information and Mm -hmm, list mm -hmm. the businesses. Um, So I think that's a good way to start. That's relatively easy as you start thinking about even your day to day products, but also, you know, those holiday gifts that you're looking for as well.
1: Yeah, and there are a number of holidays at the end of the calendar year that um, include gift giving, but they don't all have the same value um, in their religious faith or context, right? So it's also important to understand that talking about gift giving is valuable and useful, but isn't always relevant to everyone. Um, And so that's also kind of a slice or or, or a piece of diversity that I think is important to remember around this time of year. Um, But I um, recently subscribed to the McBride sisters who are um, wine sellers, wine owner, wine owners. What is the name for people who make wine? Why am I like totally blanking on that? Um, I
0: guess wineries
1: are yeah, wine, you know. yeah. So they they own a winery, um, and they, they are uh African-American women and African-American women in particular, a very, very small percentage of um wine makers in the United States. But I also in my research stumbled across a number of um wineries that are owned by women, women of color. Um, Or people of color, and some of them also have um, a connected kind of social justice component to them where a percentage of their sales go towards uh, programs or organizations that address uh, racial justice. Um, so, you know, if you are someone who consumes wine, um, at the end of the year, gifts it to people, then that's always a nice way to do that you can go online and you can research local, um, minority owned wineries. Um, and I think that that, um, connects us to one of the other things that we wanted to talk about, right, is, Diversity in food and nutrition and thinking about that as you round out your year, if you're providing meals to people or as you go into 2023 and you're an event producer and you provide snacks and such on your course, like how are you taking into consideration the diverse needs of people's diets and medical conditions and then also the producers of the food, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's one of the things I think about all the time.
0: I have a, a friend of mine right now that's in a culinary school that's in a farm to table course. And it was it's one thing to just learn about farm to table and how the whole process of production and bringing it actually into a restaurant or, or even a grocery store works. But also the other piece around the small number, for example, of black and brown and women-owned farms, for example? And are we tapping into that so we know where our food is coming from? Uh, There's a, I forget the name of the restaurant, but it's in the train station when I go to New York or go through New York, and they have the different types of salad that they created. I don't know if it's chopped or something else, um, but the different types of salad and each day where each product comes from. So, Corn today comes from Lisa's farm or, you know, kale today comes from Shauna's farm and what city and what area it's in. And, you know, I think we need to consider that farm to table piece and also too. look, Lisa, I'm an omnivore. I eat almost anything. But what I'm tired of, I'm tired of people who are not omnivores being vilified as if they're just folks being difficult. No, they're not being difficult, damn it. The many that I've found, because I used to come from that perspective as well, is that, you know, this person is being really specific with their food to the point of, of um, inconveniencing, whether it's the restaurant, whether it's whatever it is. But as I, again, a note of proximity, when I had my first son, Trey, and he had a number of dietary issues and so forth, no, the damn flaxseed can kill a person if they're allergic to it. So, therefore, they need to know what's in the food. Are you shopping at places or getting groceries where labels are beyond what's the requirement, the FDA requirement, but they give very specific notions of what's in the food, where it came from, where it was packaged. Um, Lisa, I remember uh, when Trey and Kendrick were both in daycare and a little girl had a terrible allergic reaction because she ate pretzels that had been packaged in a peanut factory. She wasn't allergic to the pretzel. She's allergic to right, peanuts, right. and so things like that. That now I'm really cognizant of, and I am nowhere near. I'm not even a novice. I'm like starting at ground zero, but I am growing in my understanding, so that folks around me can have more uh, acceptance and less "quote unquote" just tolerance of different needs, because it's mm-hmm. it's different needs for different reasons, and that's what I think we kind of skip over when it comes to the food and nutrition piece.
1: Yeah. And even, even like peanut allergies are still um, kind of mocked a little bit. Like I have a friend who has a son who has a massive peanut allergy, like he could die. And there were like five or six other people in his school that were similarly situated. But um, so they basically, I think the school said you can't bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You can't have peanut butter or something, which I felt was reasonable because even though it was a small number of people, their lives were literally on the line if there were peanuts present right but you had then this contingent of families that got really pissed off that they couldn't have peanuts and their children were being deprived of peanut butter sandwiches da, da 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 um and and so then i think the sick five or six kids like had to like eat they had to be segregated and like eat in a different part of the school and what does that do to them right in terms of yes. kind of yes. pushing them to the outside and saying the issue that you have with peanuts is like a problem with you, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that you're not like everyone else, so we're just going to segregate you. Well, um, there's probably more to it than that, but I think that having that understanding, because yeah. I still see, I still see peanuts at um, aid station tables. Um, oh, you know, gotcha. sometimes yeah. they're in sealed bags, which is better, but it still feels risky. Um, you know, and and that that one feels fairly clear cut to me, but there are some more nuanced. Um, you know, allergies or sensitivities that I think it is important for us to understand. And, you know, as a vegetarian, I'm pretty much used to looking at a menu around the holiday season or basically ever where there's like, oh, you got right. one thing, right? right? And right. oftentimes it's a salad and it's not very exciting. And um, I had mm-hmm. texted my brother because I'm heading back to the UK and he had t- talked about my niece doesn't eat potatoes. It's not an allergic thing. It's just a dislike, which I find like to be very strange because potatoes are so like inoffensive. I'm like, well, she doesn't even eat French fries because you know they're like right, the right. standard, but no, apparently right. she doesn't. So, and then wow. I have made the the comment that I'm pretty sure that wherever we go her not eating potatoes is still going to give her more options than me as a vegetarian. Right. Cause usually I, oh, I only have the one, yes. the one choice. And he was like, I think you yes. can do better than that. Right. And the UK is generally better for vegetarians and vegans than the United States is on the whole. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, I did have to stop myself cause I was like, that's ridiculous. How can an 11 year old not like potatoes? Right. Like, right. <laughs> exactly. Does, right. But he was very, he was very, he advocated. He's like, it will be fine because I will make sure that it's fine, right? I will Mm -hmm. make sure that the restaurant we go to for a Christmas lunch will have something that she can eat that doesn't have potatoes on it. And I was like, well, yay for you advocating for your little kid. I appreciate that about you. Um, So, you know, so I do think that I think as we move into the end of the year, thinking about that, if you're cooking for people or if you're going out with restaurants to celebrate with work, Colleagues or friends or families, right? But then also thinking about into the new year, like how can you be more conscious of those different needs? Some of which are allergies, some of which are sensitivities, and some of which are just someone doesn't like something and don't make fun of them for that, right? Yes, yes. That that is who they are and love them regardless. So, exactly, exactly.
0: Yep, exactly. Well, and now, okay, so let me share with you, Lisa, one thing that I saw on a friend's uh, stories that I thought was interesting because now is also the time uh, as we move you know, through for those that um, honor or celebrate family time, what have you, Thanksgiving time, food. Um, so November through December through January is a lot of holiday races and so forth. And I'm so proud. I want to say, Christy Finner, I'm so proud of you, my friend, because uh, she posted in her stories on Thanksgiving morning, um, first of all, her race. Um, And then also the lands that she was running on because it had just been announced at the race, which I thought was so cool, right? And so given that, you know, I just want to remind people too that this is something else to really think about. Um, Also too, Lisa, here in the DMV area, uh, we have Chase Brexton, which is a phenomenal uh, healthcare facility that warmly embraces the LGBT community. And I was so appreciative that also on... um, Native American Heritage Day that they actually dropped their land acknowledgment as well on their Instagram page. And I won't read the whole thing, but they mentioned, we acknowledge that we work, serve, and live on the ancestral land uh, and waters of the Piscataway, Susquehannock, Choptank, and Ozani tribes in a region we know as Baltimore and the surrounding areas where Chase Brexton is located. We recognize the oppression, the colonial oppression of this land and the forced removal and genocide of our ancestors. And then it goes on. um, And then it says we recognize that these lands and the city are the home to many tribal nations, including the Lumbee and Cherokee. We believe in the care and the stewardship of our communities, our people, our land, our animals and the nature we share life with. And we also recognize the intersection and the intertwined history and the oppression of BIPOC ancestors and those living today. And so they go on and on talking about the healing of those people and those lands as they heal on those lands. And so I just thought it was just a really profound statement and we just simply don't do it enough in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think it's interesting when, and I'm still working through this as I talk with um, friends of mine who are indigenous that help us to think through, yes, definitely giving land back to those to whom it belongs and also the notion that there are some tribes who mention that the land does not belong to them however it doesn't belong to anyone and therefore we need to honor right? the land mm. as a being and yeah. so it you know this this whole notion like lisa think about the very white oppressive construct of real estate like that real estate is not a real concept in Native American right, culture based right. on what I'm understanding yeah, yeah and so yeah. given that it's like yes give land back to those tribes where they originated and also hold the messiness of none of us owns it so this is not a transaction this is not an exchange this is a honoring of space place and nature in a way that we're just not used to, because that has not been the co- the mm-hmm. colonized understanding of land yeah. and everything on it. Yeah. So, it, we, we don't have it down pat and I'm still learning myself, but that's what I'm, I'm pulling from it. Um, have you heard land acknowledgements at,
1: at some races yes. or anywhere else? Okay. I have okay. actually, I did a race in October. Um, well, I didn't hear it at the race, but the organization or the company is called human potential running and they're Colorado based, but the, it looks like they have races in Texas um, as well as in Colorado and Arkansas. And They actually have a whole page dedicated to this on their website, and it says, we acknowledge that our races take place on the ancestral lands of many Indigenous tribes, and we will donate 1% of gross sales to Wings of America and or other Indigenous-led organizations each year. In addition to donations, we will also help to shed light on issues affecting Indigenous people by amplifying their voices through our communication channels, and we gladly offer a 50% discount on our race entry fees to all Indigenous runners. And then they list all of their races, whose land or tribes that the land is connected to, plus links and information so that people can educate themselves on that history. I was actually kind of blown away because it's like an ultra-running white male owned, I think. And so this is where I caught myself in one of my own biases, right? I was like, um, yeah, uh, this is a good moment of humility for me for making assumptions about the fact because I was did this race and the race is in an area near me called Indian Creeks. And so I thought about that. I was like, oh, that's an interesting name. What's the history of that? Um, and so that was what led me to go to their website to see if they had anything about it and then opened up this whole um, list of of lands and acknowledgements and information about tribal history and such. So, you know, I think it's, I think we're seeing it more, but I do think that um, as the endurance sport community kind of wraps up 2022 into 2023, and they start to think about races that they're participating in maybe you could choose organizations that do have those land acknowledgements, right? Maybe that's who you give your money to is race organizations that are respectful of and acknowledging of the fact that this land was stolen. Right. And we need to name that. So yes, 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 absolutely.
0: And, you know, I'm wondering Lisa to, uh, part of me, I, I won't dwell on it too long, but it just makes me think about Tulsa from a Black perspective and how, you know, there's this umbrella of, uh, part of me wants to say holy, but, but uh, an umbrella of sacred lands that mean something deeply to people. And so given that, how do you acknowledge that, given that, no, you may not have been part of the history of that land either being stolen or the tragedies that may have happened on those lands, but how do you acknowledge it in a way? So I'm thinking about, you know, drown towns, for example, let's say you run a race or you have an event that's in a drown town and everyone's aware of it. Well, let's name the elephant in the room rather than just racing and acting like it's irrelevant. It is relevant that you're running through uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa. It is relevant. (laughs) It's, you know, and so how do we continue to lift all of those sacred lands. Um, I'm getting better with American Indian lands, but, you know, thinking about it, even from a holistic perspective, we have a lot of uh, uh, sacred lands that things, tragedies have happened on that we just should not literally run over, like literally run over. We should not do so. Now, Lisa, exposing yourself to other traditions, I think, is a really important one. I, I'm sure you probably uh, can think of some ways to do this, but I remember in high school, one of my favorite teachers, Miss Mason, uh, who was my Latin teacher, but she was also an incredible uh, pianist and musician and so forth. Well, I'm from Southern Virginia. Everyone is, is uh um, A lot of folks, let me take back everyone, a lot of folks are Protestant Christian. And so when you have a beloved teacher that every year creates a tradition of taking her students, if they so choose, to her Catholic mass at Christmas, every year, it was something I looked forward to because it was such a tradition that I wasn't aware of in the beginning. I understood that we had the common thread of, worshiping an individual in particular that showed up in icons in her house of worship. But it was a completely different approach from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. African-American Black Southern Baptist church. And I'm imagining it was a far cry from white Baptist you know, church as well. And so I, I just relished that. And I appreciate what she did. I didn't have as deep of an appreciation then as I do now. Um, but that was really, I mean, i was shocked that she didn't get some pushback from folks' parents because that was a big deal um in that time period. So I, I love that and I want to continue to do that um in my work. And I, I hope other people listen to our podcast mm-hmm. try to do the same.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think kind of setting an intention for 2023, um, particularly in light of COVID and how insulated we have all become by necessity, right? That um It's important to continue our own journey of exploration and discovery and that that should um, include broadening our understanding of new and different cultures than our own different traditions, whether that's both, you know, internally to the United States or externally thinking about the world. I think that that is an important piece um, that we each need to kind of revive after being stuck kind of with ourselves as company or our close families for the last couple of years, kind of getting back into the groove of doing that, I think is going to be really important for 2023.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Lisa, we probably, since we just got finished talking about the McBride sisters, I, I do think we should consider... Um, you know, when it comes to the whole alcohol consumption piece, right, is that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people don't drink. And (laughs) let me tell you this, Lisa, I saw on somebody's uh, social media post, there's a lot of reasons why people don't drink on the holidays. And all of those reasons are none of your business. That's what the post said. Yeah,
1: that's great. That's great. I love that
0: because at first I started thinking, well, why? Well, you know, I I started, you know, my perfectly logical explanations as a privileged person and, you know, it could be a health condition. It could be someone's on a particular medication that doesn't mix with that. It could just simply be, I don't want to. And the, the almost bullying that adults do around alcohol and celebrations is so interesting to me. Now, Lisa, you and I will probably be the two in the corner having our McBride sisters. But if we have friends around us that don't want alcohol and we're making them a mean mocktail, then I think that should be like you know, the status
1: quo here. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why we do this to other adults. Have you seen that happen before? Oh my gosh. It's like everywhere, right? Like this stigmatization that happens for people who choose not to drink, can't drink, you know, whatever the reason is just amazing. I mean, the pressure is unbelievable. I mean, I come from the UK where the pub culture, and drinking culture is really, really pronounced. Um, But what I will say is the um, culture around drinking and driving, at least when I was there, which was some time ago now, was not the same as it was here. Like if I went into a pub with a group of friends and I was driving and I ordered a beer, I would get like the shittiest looks from people, right? They would be like, it would be like the group peer peer pressure, like what are you doing, right here i mean routinely people i'm out with who are driving will have 1 to 3 drinks and it just is unbelievable and i think part of that is this expectation or this pressure that you're not able to have a good time if you're not drinking like how could you possibly not like alcohol right this just this um it's just a very different and i think more corrosive culture around alcohol here and i say that not meaning that the UK culture of alcohol is good. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've certainly been guilty of probably of pressuring people. Come on, just wondering, come on, have a glass of wine. Right. So I really try to catch myself now, particularly at this point of the year and new year's Eve, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, think yes. about how reliant new year's Eve is on kind of the champagne or the, any kind of bubbly, right. That celebration, getting drunk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I've been uh, paying attention there. I, I don't know if you remember, Lisa, I was watching this uh, series on Netflix called Drink Masters. And I also found like a companion article that went with that Netflix. That wasn't uh, filled with judgment, but it was interesting because it was an entire article on here's a list of recipe books and a list of mixologists that solely focus on non-alcoholic Everything. And they were still very cool drinks. They were pretty drinks. They were, you know, you could still consume and feel, even though I feel like it succumbs a little bit to the social pressure of I need something in my hand that's pretty so I look like I fit in. Right, right. Um, But I found that interesting that a lot of restaurants and other folks that, um, uh, you know, put on parties and so forth. The entertainment is now starting to fold more of the non-alcoholic into a lot of things. So I think that's pretty cool. And I think we should do more of that.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I just you were just making me think like I was about to say, you know, I like beer. And then I was like, oh, gosh, I sound like Brett Kavanaugh at his. uh, No, I'm not trying to conjure up images of him. But I also have purchased and do fairly frequently uh, non-alcoholic beer because I do actually really like the taste of beer. And you can get non-alcoholic beer, not your like Michelob Ultra crappy stuff, right? But like craft non-alcoholic beer that tastes pretty darn good, right? And they do all the different ones like IPAs, um, lagers, pilsners, um, sour beers, um, stouts, all all the different types, um, and so I think that right the the, right. the the need for alcohol in the drink seems to be unnecessary sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. Well, and I'll I'll drop in the show notes too. Um, I follow a lot of chefs, and Kat Cora, um, who's an Iron Chef, she actually launched her own. Um, it's called hand on heart wine where it's, you know, it pairs with a lot of different types of food, but it is non-alcoholic. So there you go. You know, people that are doing this already, I think is really interesting. Um, Lisa, I think it should go without saying, but we still don't do it. Be nice to nature. Don't tear shit up. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to how much you're throwing away versus recycling. You know, that's one of the things I'm really happy about, you know, where I live currently since I moved is that they do have a very robust recycling program here, which I did not have for the last couple of years. So really grateful for that. But it just seems like a no brainer. But clearly folks still don't get
1: it. Right. Eh. Right. Yeah. I actually have to stop myself if I'm walking the dog and I go past someone's trash can and they have like cardboard boxes in there when they have a recycling bin yes. that they could put the cardboard yes. in. Right. And you're like, yes. I don't understand why you're not doing that. Um, right. And then, but another funny um, story, the, uh, so that human potential race series, um, they, they're coupless. Right. And uh, at the end of my 15 miler, like I, I it had not brought a cup with me and I really wanted some Coke. And so I ended up just asking if I could just drink the rest of the bottle because there wasn't much left. But I was in, I was initially like, that's really annoying. Why don't you have cups? But then I caught myself because I know why they don't have cups, right? Like, yeah, it's a little bit of an inconvenience for me. But if I would paid attention and kind of thought about the fact that I might want something at the conclusion of the race beyond the water that I had in the car, then I would have planned according. And so I think that- right them doing that along with a number of other races I know are moving to coupless is just a huge boon. So that's something else to yes. think about, right? When you're choosing your yes. races for 2023, how about you go with race, um, organizations that are coupless, right? That Absolutely. ask you to carry your own, um, they'll provide the liquids, but you have the vessel, right? So that it's, um, yes. and yes. that they also have recycling bins, like at outspoken yes. actually, when we were there, and we had our opening reception, there wasn't an out, there was not a recycling bin. And um there were a number of cans and plastic cups that were getting given out, right? So I like asked the bartender and we kind of fashioned some yeah, makeshift yeah. recycling. I don't know whether that stuff actually got recycled, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but it just felt like a huge missing piece. So, what are you doing at your events to encourage race directors? to have recycling and then actually recycle the goods. I'll put a little exactly. asterisk there because I also know there are issues with recycling with, you know, mixed um, materials. And if the materials aren't yes. clean and things get thrown out, like I know it's a bit more complicated than that, but at least be thinking about it, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Lisa, I I love the way that we called each other out over the Thanksgiving holiday week uh, when we were texting back and forth about a couple of things. And I mentioned just, I think one of us mentioned just being lazy all day or not being uh, motivated to do anything. Now, hello people, we talk about a holiday. We're not talking about the average work day in the middle of the week. We're talking about holiday. holiday. Um, and I can't remember, Lisa, if, if you called yourself lazy or if I called myself lazy, but we both agreed that we're not gonna do that anymore. And so I appreciated that check. And um, for those that haven't heard, About this whole movement called the NAP Ministry, you should check it out. It's on Instagram. Uh, They have a great uh, website, which I'll drop into uh, the show notes. But uh, there's a a book that just dropped this year called Rest is Resistance. Go out and pre order. I think it's actually still on pre order and coming um, later this year. But uh, um, it's a great reminder that we do not need to subscribe to the quote unquote grind. And kind of retraining ourselves, because I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a workaholic that is uh, still recovering and I don't take that lightly. Um, And so given that, what does that mean to feel like your self-worth is caught up in how much work you did anytime, but especially over a holiday when 9.9999 people are resting? Like, I, I just thought it was so interesting that exchange we had, Lisa.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's something that we can each take into 2023. I mean, we've talked a lot about how endurance sports athletes are type A personalities and they're go, go, go. And how can they achieve more, 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 right? And that, you know, you take a day off or two days off during your week, and then you think you're a failure, but actually more rest and recovery can make you a stronger and less injury prone athlete. But I think, um, so there's physical benefits there, but there's also that mental and emotional benefit with giving yourself the space and not labeling it as yes. laziness, right. Which we yes. are so apt to do sometimes when we're moving a mile a minute.
0: Yes. Yes. Look, self-bullying is real, Lisa. I- I've just come to grips with it. Self-bullying is real, especially for athletes. I'm telling you. Um, but then I think the last thing is around philanthropic efforts and making sure that we slow down and take the time to find out whether our values align with where we give. We've talked about this since the beginning of this podcast, Lisa, put your money where your mouth is. And I think, you know, sometimes we don't slow down enough to make sure that, you know, values are aligned so forth. This is that time of year where for for people like me who are end of year givers, it's our time. But even for people that you, that give more often or more frequently, even in smaller chunks, larger chunks, doesn't matter. I think this is a good one to think about throughout the entirety of 2023 because I just have been less thoughtful about it and want to be increasingly more thoughtful about it, Lisa. So I think that's another thing we can carry into 2023.
1: How about some so, hell yeahs and hell no's, Shauna? <laughs> hell yeah. Hell
0: no. Nah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Let's let's jump right in. So let me tell you. So I, I think I've told you, Lisa, that I've been trying not to, I've been trying to stay decluttered, number one. And part of that staying decluttered is not buying as many books hard or soft copy, more so audiobooks, partially because my vision is is slowing down here when it comes to reading. But also, I can do more than one thing as I'm listening to a a really good book. And so, I would strongly suggest, folks, if you have not picked it up, pick up Lily Zhang's book, DEI Deconstructed. I downloaded it onto Audible, and I've been listening to it now for the last week. And I loved it from the Outset, you know, from the beginning, because Lily Zay has been really popular with a very simple method of she posts fairly deep posts onto her LinkedIn every single day. I mean, her consistency is out of this world, and so she moved into writing this book. And the book is called DEI Deconstructed: Your No Nonsense Guide to Doing the Work and Doing It Right. And what I appreciated about even just the first chapter was about intentions aren't enough. Obviously, we talk about that a lot here. And how do we know what we're doing is working? Because Lily goes into the whole DEI marketplace and how easy it is. Lily even started with a story about how an organization wanted to give her pretty high five figures, give them, excuse me, I'm going to get the pronouns correct, give them five figures for a speaking engagement. And Lily responded back and said, you know, you could be more effective if we created an entire program using, using the same budget. And the person was like, no, no we're, we're good. I'm not authorized to go there. We just want you to come in and speak for five figures. And Lily said, okay, either way I get your money. However, I was trying to make sure that the these outcomes are long lasting. And so Lily does a really great job in laying that out. And I think they really focus on the longer term effects of the DEI marketplace, not just what is popular and not what's comfortable. And so anyway, I'm into what chapter four now of their book. And I think it's it's really going to be a game changer and one that becomes kind of a seminal document, if you will, for most DEI practitioners to refer to. And I appreciate Lily uh pouring their heart out into the book and also making sure that writing in those caveats that DEI changes so quickly that their hope is that the book ages well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that was really profound. And so I'm loving it. I'm loving it so far.
1: Well, I'll definitely add that to my list then. And just a, a, a funny point. Um, did you know that the word seminal comes from semen? Because it's basically it's seminal because as in it's male dominated. So it's that's the, the kind of Linguistic oh. context around that—that's so, why things are seminal.
0: Oh, so we need to think of the the uh what's the
1: non-patriarchal word for it, then? Hmm. Um, like a significant or, or central? Yes, or transformational, maybe Found, foundational, foundational. Yeah, got it. Yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, that um, does make sense. That I keep saying if I say it slow enough. Yes, it's yeah.
1: I, I learned that a few years ago, and it make you yeah, once you hear, it, once you realize it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Um,
0: so that's anyway, point. that's such so a
1: from from Seminole to the Hell Na and the Men's World Cup in uh, Qatar or Qatar. There is disagreement about how English speakers should pronounce the country. So, um, we're not going to do a massive deep dive here. But if you want to learn a little bit more about the problems related to um, the location, John Oliver on his HBO series last week tonight did a good piece a couple of weeks ago um, where he detailed all of the human rights violations and the poor treatment of immigrants or migrants rather that came to build the six stadiums that I think that they have for the World Cup and indeed the shady deals and bribes that may have gone on that led to Qatar getting the um, gig in the first place. And so it's not that I am not watching the World Cup um, and, you know, it ends with the final on December 18th. So we're about halfway through at this point. But it's um, one of the things to consider is that there's a lot of outrage around, um, you know, the World Cup being held there and FIFA, um, choosing them as a location. And then previously the previous men's world cup was in Russia. And so the same critiques occurred there in terms of human rights abuses, um, you know, oppression of the LGBTQA community in Russia. And yet, as soon as the world cup happens, people tend to forget about it. Right. So that the the hell nah is to remember and maintain your, um, anger, frustration, your advocacy against this kind of politicking and this kind of behavior that leads to countries that perhaps have pretty awful human rights records, getting these big, big um, sports events that bring a lot of money, but bring a lot of money in on the backs of the most marginalized people. So, This is probably not news to you. You've probably heard of it. But if you notice, it has faded from light a little bit since the World Cup has started. And so, this is a big old hell nah to the fact that the media doesn't talk about it as much anymore. We don't talk about it as much anymore. And a hell nah to the fact that the World Cup, the Men's World Cup, is even being held there and held in countries around the world that have pretty awful human rights records. Um, Right. Right. So it's just something for us to be cognizant of and remember as we continue to advocate um, for marginalized communities uh, locally and nationally and internationally. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you
0: next time.